Once again, Dave Stuckey talking about Springfield music, DaleWileyShow.com. I'm sitting here talking to Dave Stuckey, and I can actually see him on the screen. How cool is that? It's unbelievable. Modern technology. Well, it really is kind of amazing to see the modern technology. And I wanted to have you back on the podcast to talk about Springfield and Lou Whitney. And I also want to talk about Doug Herb. So let's start with Springfield and Lou Whitney and <clears throat> your involvement and all that. Well, I went to my first year of college. I went to a school in Denver, University of Denver. That just lasted right. for a year. And I decided to transfer back and go to the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. Right. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I started playing in bands and bands would come to town and this and that. And I went to see the Morels. I guess that was, <laughs> well, see, yeah, I'm kept trying to remember exactly what the, my first encounter with those folks were, but this would have been in right. 1979. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And which is the year that my favorite band at the time from there formed. And that's the Debs. Oh, which, yes. <laughs> you know, which was the all girl band from Springfield. And Definitely. I mean, I want to hear about that too. Yeah, that was, uh, so I, I guess I met, I guess I met, uh, Donnie Thompson first. I knew his right. 45, his driving guitar is 45. And that's probably my right. first exposure. It just blew me away. And then to think that he yeah. recorded all the instruments on that thing. And it's such, right. it's, to me, it's a better version of that song than the ventures. Yes. Uh, so I met him, got to be friends with him, then met Lou that way. And, um, then met the Debs that way. Yes. And, uh, you, that set off uh, some time of, uh, well, I mean, it was just I was a I was a I was a Debs groupie, man. I have <laughs> I, I, tell I me about because I've heard about them, but you tell me your story, your impressions well, of them. The, the Debs were, uh, like I say, an all-girl band. They were all, uh, you know, sort of uh, in the same orbit as uh, the the, uh, and I think in some cases were turned on to older music from some of the. Uh, Skeletons, Morels, folks. Right. Um, and uh, um, Terry Cohn was the bass player, and at okay. that time she was, and lifelong up until he passed was uh, was with uh, Jim Wonderly, who okay. was the lead, who was the lead singer in a band called the Dog People. Right, uh, and also just a great guy, totally great, great, great guy, amazing guy. Yes. So, uh, and uh, Peggy Smith was the drummer, and I think maybe at that time, or at least at some point, she was. Um, with Donnie Thompson, right. and uh, um, and then there was Chris Treffen, who was one of the who was uh, one of the guitar players, and Katie Kaufman, who also became a dear friend, who was uh, the other guitar player, and also was the sister of Brian Kaufman, who was in a okay. very successful Springfield band. I'm sure you know about called Fool's Face. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, they were big. I mean, really good, great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And uh, that was, he, she was uh, his little sister and um, they all took up instruments and were just like really good right off the bat. I mean, you think about it at the time, uh, you know, there was Blondie, there was Debbie Harry singing for Blondie and there was, I mean, the Go-Go's were still a local LA band. Nobody knew about the Go-Go's. Runaway, maybe. Runaway, that was about, yep, the Runaways. And so these, so these, these women were, they were way out in front. It was a crazy thing and right. it was so much fun to see them play they wrote uh, they wrote some of their own songs they did some fun covers 
And I started going down to Springfield and, uh, you know, I was in college, so I'd have my weekends and whatnot. I would go see if they were playing somewhere around the Midwest, like Oklahoma or uh-huh. whatever, Columbia, Missouri. I'd go, I'd go and like run sound for them or whatever, just cause I really? love hanging around with them. And, uh-huh. uh, until at one point, uh, that was officially referred to by them as, <laughs> as the fifth Deb. Okay. So, well, great. <laughs> Are there any recordings of Debs around? They're the only thing that um, there's one video clip. And I was just, before I was doing the show, I started thinking, I mean, I guess I didn't have a video camera back then, but there's right. yeah. one clip of them on YouTube really? doing the Blondie cover. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and the only audio, I mean, I recorded some gigs. They would also play. I was in a band called the regular guys in Lawrence. And they would, we would go down there and play with them, and they would come up to Lawrence and play with us. And uh, uh, we would come down. I think we played at Humphrey Clinker's. Do you remember that bar? No, I don't. Yeah, that, okay. Even boy, when it's before Dale Wiley's time, man, then that's that's prehistoric. All right? I don't even know about that that bar. So yeah, Humphrey that's Clinker's. Lot. And then there was another bar that the, all of them played called the Amador Mining Company. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we'd we'd switch off and. Uh, and uh, but anyway, there was at one point they did do a demo. The Debs did a demo, and I still have it somewhere where they did four or five oh, songs, wow. including one or two of their originals. If I can f- dig it up, I'll digitize it and send it to you. Please do. That would be wonderful because that's one of the pieces that needs to be kind of you know, ex- especially what you're saying about the Debs. You know, I've heard a couple people talk about them, but I just think that's such a cool additional piece of Springfield history. I, I, it absolutely is. And I think it was a big deal. I mean, they were really, yeah. they were really way out in front and uh, I admired them so much for just putting it together. I think, I think a couple of them were very like Katie, I believe was really new to guitar when she started and it right. had, you know, there's sort of a punk ethos behind what they did. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but they really were, they were solid. They were no joke, man. They were, they were a real thing. And I, and I, and I just was crazy about them all. So yeah, I started being around a lot. And so then I would, you know, of course, or I go down and I spend the weekend at Donnie's and say, Hey Donnie, can I come down? Yeah, yeah, sure. And we, I still have these cassettes that he would make me of, uh, tunes. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, it was all, these were tunes, like there were not, there were no rockabilly, very few rockabilly reissues, none in America, right. some in Europe at the time, but these guys were digging up the craziest Coolest totally always had that taste to go in there. Yes. And you know, I've listened to things that never made it to the albums with Lou, and yeah. it was so fun. The yeah. stuff was just incredible. They were they were so hip for what they were doing and yeah. their ear for things, you know. Uh, Bobby Lloyd Hicks, you know, I just remember you know, from everything from uh I, I remember um they did the rockabilly tune called Rock on the Moon. Yeah. Uh, this guy, uh, I can't remember the original art. Anyway, a guy named J- Jimmy Stewart, believe it or not. But uh, <laughs> and then they did, and, and you know, like Bobby Lloyd Hicks, they were doing like the first time I ever heard the Beach Boys tune "Drive In." Yeah, which great, great up tempo. You've got to hear Beach Boys if, if yeah, boy. absolutely. Oh, they were doing Jenny <laughs> Lee, Jan and Dean. Oh, they yeah. were doing you know they were doing Marvin Rainwater. Rockabilly too. I mean, and nobody in, in America for sure was doing that stuff at that point. You know, <laughs> yeah. so that's why they became friends with like the first hip, like Billy and, and Miriam on the East Coast. They got tuned into the Morels right away. Right. People on the West Coast, like Gene Scalati, 
well, I was on a radio show with called The Cool and the Crazy. He wrote for Rolling Stone and Crawdaddy and all that. He was tipped to them early on right. and became a big Lou fan. Like when Trans Am came out, that single. Yeah. From from Lou. It was everybody. It just was great. It was ironic and unironic all at the same time about yeah. a car song, you know, just right. like a car worship song. Um, they were just, I could, couldn't, can't say enough. I mean, when they backed up Benny Spellman, right. who's the guy who's the low voice on all the uh, New Orleans Ernie K. Doe, right? Like mother-in-law. Right. Yeah. That's this guy, Benny Spellman, who did his own records. And they somehow found him and brought him up to the Midwest and did a bunch of shows with him. And I didn't even know at the time I knew Ernie K. Doe, but right. I, I Benny Spellman and it was great. I mean, they backed Chuck Berry. Yeah, you know, I know. Richmond, of course, you know, I mean, they were, plus they were the first band. I I, I tend to go on a spree when I talk about these guys. But, <laughs> <laughs> not you get there, in edgewise. but the one thing I will say, like as a playing musician, they had, they were the first band that I ever saw that had a, like a perfect on stage sound. Okay. So they were sound man proof. Right. You know what I mean? Like okay. they couldn't be ruined by a bad sound man because they right. right on stage, they kept their volume down where they could hear everybody. They played, they played together right. instead of four, five, four or five people playing separately. And so it was always the perfect, like no matter where I heard them, the sound was perfect. Right. And I would, yeah, I've carried that along with me even to this day of like, okay, just sound good on stage. And then it's bound to be, you, you know, like it can be, uh, it'll chances are it'll be good out in the house. Yes, and they, they were that way, and it was um, they were really like I I idolized those guys. I came and I became friends with them and all that. But then, you know, and I met Ben Vaughn through them. You know, they were very early playing Ben Vaughn songs, right? Because they recognized what a great songwriter he was. Yes, uh, it, it was a man. It was a time. There was a time where I thought about moving to Springfield. Really? Just because, <laughs> because of the music scene. Yeah. Yeah. And then other well, things happen. But Tell me about our mutual friend, Doug Herb. Doug Herb. What a great guy. And what a great artist, man. I, I love his work. I um, do. He, yeah. He, uh, he, I believe he contacted me. He was coming out to L.A. to live. Right. And uh, he contacted me. I think he maybe got my... Um, num, um, I think it was a letter. I feel like I had a letter from Doug. Really? From I think he from because he knew Donnie and all those right. guys. <laughs> yes. He said, hey, I'm from I'm from Springfield, and we know a lot of the same people. And I'm going to be out in L.A., and I don't really know too many folks. So, um, you know, can we get together? And so we did, and we hung out periodically over the time he was here, which was not a super long time, but uh, like we would go. I remember one time uh, I was kind of weeding through a bunch of. You know, I've always collected comics, right. and so is he. And I said, hey, do you want to split a table and go to the local comics convention and sell uh, <laughs> together? He said, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And it was just a blast because you're mostly just sitting around all day. Right. You know, shooting the shit. And um, so we did that kind of stuff. I remember going down to the big one, San Diego Con, with him one time, and he introduced wow. me to um, – uh, at the time, he was already friends with a bunch of the – big uh, uh, alternative cartoonist. He introduced me to Dan Klaus at the time, you know, who was just getting started. He hadn't done Lloyd Llewellyn or any of that stuff, but I already loved his, his stuff. So Doug already knew all these guys and he just continued. And like to this day, I guess he does art shows in uh, 
in Springfield, correct? Yes. And yeah. the big thing about him is he's going to do the art for the project that I've started. And he's talked about, he's coming down to Crane on Thursday. And he's going to do the art for the musical map of Missouri. Oh, wow. What a great, you haven't told me about this project. Well, That's great. You know, this is brand new. This is one of these things. We're doing it as uh, the idea is we're doing a COVID relief fund. We were doing a map of Missouri and putting all the names on there. Everybody that everybody needs to know in the history of Missouri music from Lloyd and the skeletons to and Lou and the skeletons to Chuck Berry to the big names and the little names. Porter Wagner. Oh, yes. Oh, believe me. You know, you find I one of the things that really led me to do this project was I drove through Anderson, Missouri, and there was a sign on there that said home of Patsy Montana. And I thought, oh, my gosh, Patsy Montana's from here. For me, that's a big deal, you know? Yeah. And that's why I just think this project is going to be so fun. So what we're going to do is we're going to get a Kickstarter on this. We're going to produce prints and, you know, add-ons and additional things and put up a Kickstarter and basically try to raise money as a COVID-19 thing to try to benefit musicians. That's fantastic. That is, I am so in on that Kickstarter. <laughs> I mean, because you know, know, there's a lot. You and I don't think have of every item because the first thing I thought of when we started doing this thing and started talking to Doug is we need a cap with Lou's face on it that says a rock and roll toupee. <laughs> Lou Whitney's rock and roll toupee. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, that's, my that's favorite, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Lou things is when uh, they'd be playing and, you know, they'd you know, do a couple of sets or whatever. And if anybody that Luke could see down in front, what, you know, yawn just for any reason, right. you know, people yawn, it doesn't mean anything. But we would always stop the show and say, Hey, are we keeping you up? <laughs> <laughs> Everything he did was so fun. And he just was a character like no one else. No he one. Had no one, one, was, one, one loose story. Yeah. Um, well, those guys took Dan, Donnie, Lou went too, but Donnie took me to Reds. Oh, yeah. uh, I to Reds when that was still there. Right. And, uh, um, I think maybe with Lou, the, the, I remember the first time they came, or one of the first times they came to play in Lawrence. And I met them, and they had this van, and we were riding around Lawrence in this van, and Ben Vaughn was in the van too. Uh-huh. And Lou just, just, that was the first time I got like an, a full barrage of Lou Whitney, right. the wit, wisdom of Lou <laughs> yes. Whitney, you know, because he was always, like, at first I was kind of nervous. I didn't want to say anything because he could have such a withering wit, right? So you didn't want to, the laughter Lou, shall we say. Yes. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, Lou was above, with all the people I idolized in Springfield, Lou was like a step above that. Right, exactly. I mean, like For everybody, I think. I don't I don't think I'm, I'm alone in that in that feeling, you know, I remember one time this was actually after Slewfoot. This was probably about five. Well, no, probably at this point about seven or eight years ago. And I was at the studio with Christy Swift, Christy Strimmel, who I just loved. We were making a single. It was a really cool day. And, and Lloyd was playing drums and Lou looked at him and he said, you'll never get arrested for playing the cymbals too little. 
And, and the deal was, here was this guy that he played with for so many years, and that's what he said. It was all that needed to be said. And I just, every witticism was just perfect. And, his, and you know, that, and, and musically, he's right. Yes. He's 100% right. You'll never you be know? arrested for playing the cymbals too little. <laughs> See, and it's, um, I, I was always, I was hoping that uh, somebody would, uh, after he passed, you could, uh, for folks who had, don't know him, you could literally do a book. We did Luke. a book. When, after he died, we did a book. What? We did. What? And so oh. I need to find a copy because a part of this thing, and we need to do it with this musical map idea. Yeah. We need yeah. to reprint the book that sold out. You know, it was wow. just given away. It was just kind of like everybody that came got one. Dave yeah. Cantrell from uh, Cantrell Barnes did the book, and it's so great, so wonderful. Oh, I'd love to see. You know, uh, when he did pass, I really wanted to. I wanted to come back. Right. I was still working a day job at the time in in television, and we were in the middle of some big thing, and there was just no. I couldn't have done it. But if anybody would be worth a trip back for it. It was. It would be the King King Lou, you know. Yes, exactly. Man, oh man, yeah. That that, that was really. I have to say that was a, a a magical time for me, and that is probably. Even though I played in bands and had a great time playing in Lawrence, playing right. the whole time I was there, but I got to say the Springfield piece of it were among my the the, the memories that returned to me the most. Uh huh. Uh, was how much I loved that, and I loved hanging with those guys, and how I aspired to be. I didn't. I never got to uh, know Bobby Lloyd too much because it was mostly Ron Gremp, you know, because he was in the right. Morels. Yeah, and uh, I sort of missed most of the skeletons, um, at least the first, the first incarnation of the skeletons. Right. Uh, later, they did come out to L.A. and play a couple of times, so I did get to see them. But, yeah, this was it was the biggest part of my – I mean, Springfield's a special place, man. And You know, yeah. I don't need to tell you that, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, but uh, it's um, – and, I mean, you continuing to tell these stories and perpetuate the, 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 that the legend from back then right. is uh, – that's, uh, you know, that's super important, man. That's glad you're doing it. And, you know, it's so fun to do, and that's why I wanted to get you back on the podcast and talk a little more about this stuff. I yeah. love it. And you hooked me up with Doug Carshaw, too. How cool was that? I oh, love man, it. how about that? I love that. Doug Kershaw. I mean, Doug I, Kershaw. When I, uh, when we, you know, we, we, uh, Deke and I do this thing called Hillbilly Fest every year. And we've done it. We used to do it in LA. Right. For many years we did. And from the first year we thought, well, Doug Kershaw's still out there. You know, we loved we, the David E. Kamal were basically formed in the image of Rusty and Doug, okay. you know, yeah. the, the 50s, you know, his teenage act with his brother. Right. And, uh, and we always thought, Oh boy, I wonder like, how would we meet him? I don't know. And then a friend of mine said, you know, Doug Kershaw's playing at a blues festival uh, out here, Simi Valley, way out in the, in the Valley right. uh, from LA. And uh, well, let's go. And we, and we got there and we met him. And then I kind of went to his son, Tyler, who's often plays with him. And I right. said, do you think, uh, would you and Doug be interested in doing, I like, first of all, I don't know how you explain Viva Las Vegas to, you know, <laughs> would you be interested in coming to play a festival that had, <laughs> like 10,000 maniacal rockabilly fans and, uh, you know, is it Las Vegas? And, but you know, the, as you know, Doug, it was just like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing when you meet him, he's so down to earth. 
he's so down to earth. And, and so then we said, you know, cause his show was, he does what he does in his, in his current show. But I, uh, you know, so there was a point where we had to have a conversation like, okay, Doug, they've agreed to your fee, but because it's a rockabilly thing, you're going to need to play at least, you know, 50% Rusty and Doug tunes. Right. And he wrote, which he hasn't played since he broke up with, <laughs> with Rusty in like 62 or something. Yes. He wrote back, sure, okay, yeah. Then he brings us <laughs> this, that's, and it's all tunes. Some of them like Louisiana Man he's been doing forever, but they're all tunes that he did with Rusty and Doug. He came back with this set list, some songs that we hadn't even thought about. And so he was in from the get-go, and the first time we played with him at Hillbilly Fest at now ensconced at Viva Las Vegas. Right. I coming up to the gig, I thought, when he plays Louisiana Man, which you know is his that's about him. That's about his family. Right. And, and his dad who killed himself later. And you know, it's right. about it's about him being a little kid in yeah. Louisiana. So I thought when he plays Louisiana Man, I'm gonna either pass out or th- throw up because I won't even know what to do <laughs> maybe both. Because it was gonna just overwhelm me. And it, it it overwhelmed me, man. I didn't do either one, but I felt like I was going <laughs> to burst into tears or something, you know, because it was just like, you know, we've played with a lot of great old timers, right. mostly from the rockabilly world. And I'm so fortunate and grateful to do that. But Doug Kershaw's a different deal. I mean, that was when I was a little kid. Right. I didn't know what the agent was. What this crazy guy on the Ed Sullivan show or whatever exactly. with sideburns and the you know, horsehair flying off his bow. And I said, this is fantastic. This guy is, you know, he was like something from outer space. Right. And so, so he meant more, you know, that meant more to me than, uh, and for him then to be, like you say, the nicest guy, like oh. is the nicest you hope he would be. Right. He's nice than that, you know, <laughs> and I just, this is, it's a dream, man. And every time we play with him, um, I feel the same way, you know, it, it hasn't, it hasn't dimmed at all. And again, that's why I wanted to have you on to talk again. And thank you so much for doing this. It's a pleasure, Dale. I really I love talking to you about this stuff. I know we'll be talking more and I'm going to send you that Deb's demo. Yes, please do that. Oh my gosh. Yes. DaleWileyShow.com because there was something in the water in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, don't forget me. I'm Brenda Lee, and we're all going to have fun tonight on Ozark Jubilee. the Missouri Music Podcast, hosted by music fan and the founder of Slewfoot Records, Mr. Dale Wiley. Tiffany Barler on her fight for social justice. DaleWileyShow.com. Throw Senate Bill 1 at you now. Is in direct conflict with everything that ensures that juveniles are absolutely treated as juveniles in a court of law. 
we, you know, we are No More Tears 21-4, and we work on a federal level, and we bring, we're part of, we just got inducted to the NCOSC, the National Coalition of Sexual Exploitation, there in yes. D.C. this year. You have to talk and, about, you have a book coming out. I want to hear about yes, that. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I sure do, and it launches by March. My long, long road of how I've become right. a huge advocate for sexual trafficking. That's the idea. Against sexual trafficking, that. yes. <laughs> how I'm a victim advocate and an advocate to end sexual exploitation right. and human trafficking. Right. Well, we are, right. I mean, I am working with international partners right now as well. We've got a five-year, yeah. we actually have a liftoff project in Nigeria. After oh, wow. we went to the Sea Summit, exactly for, oh, and we're just little old us, you know. Right. But we are we are now part of 220 coalition members in the world, you know, in the United States that works on a worldwide global level now. Juveniles between the ages of 12, Dale, 12, and 18 to okay. be put in prison and jail with adults. Fiscal year 2018, black youth accounted for 63% of the certified youth. We at seven, we were at 63. DaleWileyShow.com.